0: Live from
1: Chicago, this is Dan Proff, substituting for Bruce Dumont, with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, we're featuring commentary by Jason Hill, Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. And nationalist conservative Jennifer Nevins. Our program is coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in beautiful downtown Chicago, where our toll-free phones are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That number again, 1-800-723-8289. Our website, beyondthebeltway.com, and the Facebook page is Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. Uh, Thank you all for joining us in this edition of Beyond the Beltway. Uh, it's a pleasure to fill in for Bruce. So let me try and summarize the week that was. In oh, my goodness. How are you going to do that? And Russia, just, <laughs> just in one sentence, and then we'll delve into it. So we started with the Trump post Putin presser, mm-hmm. where he sort of hedged on our intel community. And then the, the contraction retraction the next day uh, with a restatement of his confidence in our intelligence community, specifically Dan Coates, our director of national intelligence. And then we went to uh, Dan Coates being surprised to learn about the fall meeting invite of Putin to the White House at this aspen security forum slash comedy festival, apparently uh, the way that it uh, it played out. Then Coates retracted his reaction to the news from Andrea Mitchell that Putin was coming to the White House in the fall, and then we announced that we're given two hundred million dollars in military support to Ukraine, ostensibly against the Russians, mm-hmm. all against the backdrop of the left, uh, l- led by former CIA director John Brennan calling for a firing squad. Okay. Does that about – does about capture for you, Jennifer? Yeah,
2: it does, actually. Uh, complete pandemonium, hysteria, uh, overplaying of a lot of people's hands. Uh, it's, it's just another spectacle. Uh, I think this is just a continuing. It's been, what, a two-year-long spectacle now? How much
1: of it is Trump's fault?
2: I think a, a small part of it is. I'll attribute a small, a very small part of that. And I think that uh, where he was lacking was in that press conference. I would have not given the press an inch. I think he gave too much away. I think I would have said, uh, I do view uh, intrusion into our democracy a problem, uh, but what I discussed with, uh, with Putin is private. I had a private meeting for a reason, and let's move on. I think if he had kept it short and sweet, they would have been howling. They would have been screaming, but we may not have heard the screaming on the right Uh, is to the degree that we are
1: the pride of marks mississippi university of chicago international politics professor charles lipson what was your take on on trump's performance specifically i
3: want to add one thing to that was the week that was okay which was uh... the fbi dumping this uh... fisa warrant Mm -hmm. in the middle of the weekend at night that tells me something it tells me that the fbi wanted to bury it rather than get it out as we know that they had. I thought that Trump made serious mistakes in the press conference. Uh, If he had said what you said, Jennifer, that would have been a lot better. But he didn't. And so there are are a number of problems. One is, I think it's perfectly fine to have meetings with uh, Putin. Mm -hmm. But I think that undercutting the uh, not just our intelligence community, but what seems to be a very clear understanding now that the Russians interfered, uh, and then to suggest that Michael McFall, uh, our ambassador under uh, Obama to Russia, and um, and uh, Browder, Bill Browder, could be interviewed. Initially uh, Trump's position by the Russians. This showed me a sort of deep misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And we still do not understand, although he walked it back, we still do not know what happened in that meeting. That's troubling. And it was the thing that was troubling about the Dan Coates thing in in Aspen was you'd like the president who's relatively new at dealing with this. To talk with people like Coates, Pompeo, and um,
1: your senior national security team exactly should be exactly in before, in on something
3: before this you make a decision yeah. and, and an um, announcement. And I thought, so I thought that the, the the question to me really is: Not did the media overplay its hand? Of course they did. Okay. But will Trump learn? From these mistakes yeah, but or the, not. But
1: the, but the problem is, it seems to me, uh, Jason Hill, philosophy professor at Paul University, author of now a bestseller, Congratulations, We Have Overcome, an immigrant's letter to the American people. Um, it seems to me it's not about Trump learning the lessons from this because this is the way he communicates, it's imprecise. He sort of uh, conflates a lot of issues, which it seemed to me he conflated at this press conference, uh, the whether he won the election fair and square, uh, conflated with Russian meddling, uh, conflated with his mistrust of the intel agency heads of the Obama administration. And he doesn't unpack any of that for people. So you leave the left with all kinds of fodder for conspiracy theories, as he did.
4: This is right. You're talking to a political philosopher here. So... One of the problems that I have with this administration's foreign policy is that it it lacks transparency. You're dealing, first of all, with the president of a a thugocracy. thugocracy. That's That's easy for you to say. (laughs) Someone who has been out to undermine democracy in the world does not have America's best interest at heart. So the question that has to be asked is, what was the president's goal in meeting Putin and what were the commitments that he had in mind in securing from Putin. Uh, We weren't sure what was the goals that he had in mind, and we are still not sure of what commitments he secured from Putin to begin with. And I think the absence of transparency of this country's foreign policy, ever since this president took office, has been problematic. We, We don't know what commitments were secured in the meeting with the North Korean leader, We don't know what the goals of that meeting were. And uh, the same thing with the meeting with the Saudi Arabian leaders. We're talking about meeting with a country that is a leading sponsor of terrorism along with Qatar. And we don't know what the goals of that meeting were. And we don't know what the commitments that were secured were. So I think the media has a responsibility to ask very, very tough questions in in this issue. Russia is not our friend. Russia is our adversary. Russia has never been our... I think Ronald Reagan must be turning in his grave now. When Kissinger and Reagan fa- practiced old-fashioned conservative principles, they had America's best interest at heart, promoting democracy, promoting freedom and liberty. And we, the American people have a right to ask the president... What commitments did you secure from Putin at the end of that summit? Well,
1: just just, uh, invoking Reagan. I mean, Reagan also did make an overture to Brezhnev to try to engage the Soviet Union to have better relations, Mm -hmm. even though he wasn't going to cede America's interests in that relationship against the evil empire. Um, It seems to me there's a real big divide between uh, what Trump says and what he does. And I want to get your assessment on – Trump's actual policy choices with respect to Russia a year and a half in, Jennifer?
2: You know, I find it, what was really troubling to me uh, this week was this idea that Trump for some reason could not be trusted to sit alone with Putin as if he was a child and he's going to do something nefarious. If you listen to what Trump's words are, criticizing Angela Merkel up down, up one side down the other for allowing a pipeline into a country to enrich Russia's, what was going to happen, to give them the money for this oil. The 200 uh, mercenaries that were killed, Russian mercenaries in Syria, this is not a man that's taken it easy on Russia.
1: And we're going to pick up that conversation, get our other panelists in on that topic, separating Trump's rhetoric from his policy action. Dan Proff sitting in for Bruce Dumont on this edition of Beyond the Beltway.
5: Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799 Seven zero nine six. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert
1: dot com.
3: And they know nothing.
1: Dan Prof back, guest host, saying for Bruce Dumont on this edition of Beyond the Beltway. Uh, pleased to have uh, esteemed panelist Jennifer Nevins, the original Trumper.
2: <laughs> That's what they tell That's me. That's what Bruce calls you, right? Yes. Uh, yes.
1: Jason Hill, who's our DePaul uh, political philosophy professor and Charles Lipson, of course, a frequent guest who's University of Chicago international politics professor. We were talking about separating Trump's sloppy, sometimes imprecise Mm -hmm. rhetoric from his actual policy actions uh, as it pertains to Russia, since that was the story that dominated this week. And, uh, uh, Jennifer, you sort of made the point that uh, you should focus on the substance of the policy because the substance of the policy has been pretty tough on Putin And I wonder if you would agree with that, Charles.
3: I think that's right. I think Jennifer nailed it. Uh, The substance of the policy has been very tough in the sense, several senses. First, um, we've actually given lethal weapons and a lot of support to Ukraine. We've also been very tough on the Germans about the pipeline, as you said. Uh, The Magnitsky Act, which is named after the lawyer for Bill Browder, who was killed, by the Russians uh, in prison uh, has put really tough sanctions on them, and uh, all, all those counts, he's been very tough. I think what is confusing is not only the lack of transparency and the kind of cozy rhetoric, but... Uh, but the point that I think Jason was underscoring, which is where is all this headed? What's the – is there a strategy behind this? I must say I feel confident in both Pompeo and Bolton uh, and in Dan Coates. I think we have experienced hands at, at the helm. But I'm just not clear about Trump, and I was very well, dis-
1: Although he did lay out certain priorities and topics of discussion that they supposedly dialogued upon, whether nuclear Iran, since uh, Russia was underwriting nuclear reactor there, Syria, uh, trade issues, Ukraine, Crimea.
3: I think there are a lot of areas where we can cooperate. Uh, I'm going to add one issue that disturbed me in the past week, and that was – when uh Donald Trump was publicly ruminating about the expansion of NATO i think that there are a lot of questions about the expansion of NATO but we're at the cusp of letting in Montenegro and the key element of NATO is that uh that if one is attacked, it's an attack on all. When you start publicly speculating, as President Trump did, about whether we would actually come to the defense of a NATO member, I think adversaries like Putin, and in particular Putin, hear that... Uh, and it may lead them to, to do the wrong thing in the Baltics, to begin to put more pressure on the Baltics or even invade. That would be disastrous.
1: It also seemed that the way Trump responded using Montenegro as the example, he also seemed to misunderstand what uh, NATO is. He talked about if Montenegro were to start something, and NATO is, by definition, a defensive security. This is
3: actually an interesting point that uh, – that international relations theorists of which i plead guilty have talked about for a number of years if you offer secure defense to a country it may be become more provocative. So the more we, we, we want to give enough defense to Taiwan that Beijing doesn't invade, but we don't want to give so much defense to Taiwan that they declare themselves independent and then uh, make that a, a big issue and possibly induce an invasion. So, so on that point, I thought that Trump was actually correct.
1: J- Jason, th- does Trump's kind of best asset here, as it seems to be in a range of issues, the other side... Uh, John Brennan and Michael Hayden and James Clapper, the Obama holdover, Intel heads, the D.C. press corps that, as Jennifer was saying, kind of overreacts and overhypes everything. I mean, calls of treason, uh, mm-hmm. calling him a traitor. Uh, does that and, – and frankly, the Obama administration's own rather, uh, at best, kind of – uh, uneven rhetoric, uh, uneven record when it comes to Russia, I mean, are those assets that Trump mm-hmm. has to separate himself from the past
4: i think that's hi- I yeah, think as well as the president. I think that sort of rhetoric is hy- hyperbolic uh, i don 't think anyone should properly call the president a traitor um, he 's a, he's a patriot and I think he loves the country. Um, I think the hyperbolic rhetoric from the left is really coming from a failure on the part of The President to strategically lay out a principled, systematic, foreign policy that the American people can really, really, really understand. I think the President, for example, was really, really correct in making a call for the European countries to step up and finance uh, or to to make a a greater contribution to, to NATO that America should not be footing the, the majority of the bill, that instead of, of spending a disproportionate number of uh, their monies on, on welfare and other social programs, they should, be, they, should be footing, they should be footing the bill. At the same time, calling for the disbandment of NATO is not a good idea.
1: It, it seems to me it's always sort of a a, a mix. I mean, it's, with some respects, you get bellicose rhetoric from Trump towards our European allies. Yes. But at the same time, he says, I have a great relationship with every single one of them. Right? Yes. He, he, that Norman Vincent Peel influence always presents itself, mm-hmm. right? He's always positive about who's ever in the room and whoever he's talking about. And they always have a wonderful relationship. They got on very well, even when he sort of uh, was five minutes ago on the attack. And it seems to be the same with Putin. So I, I think the press corps that sees him being antagonistic towards our allies and uh, essentially complicit, is really what they're arguing, with an, an adversary
4: like Putin, mm-hmm. I, I think that misunderstands Trump. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that he's antagonistic towards our ally. There's our allies. There's something also problematic when he's seemingly antagonistic towards U.S. intelligence. Mm-hmm. So when he goes to Russia and he doesn't really call Putin on the – Alleged, well, I think it's beyond alleged. I think the interference of Russia in our 2016 election, when a bipartisan uh, coalition of intelligent forces, intelligence forces have come to an agreement that Russia did interfere uh, in our elections, and the president doesn't in a really heavy-handed way, in the way that he comes down in a heavy-handed way on uh, Merkel and, 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 and May, uh, Prime Minister May, uh, doesn 't really cl- hold Russia accountable that he seems to go against u s intelligence uh, or side against our, our intelligence forces that that rubs not just the press but some of the American people the wrong way
1: do, do you think uh, that the, that some of this uh, is a bit of a a, a bit of lashing out mm-hmm. out of frustration? with respect to the Mueller investigation, how this has dominated the first 18 months of mm-hmm. his term. Absolutely. And uh, no one has any evidence. As Trey Gowdy said on Fox News Sunday right. today, I haven't seen any evidence, and right. neither has anybody else, because if anybody had, Adam Schiff would have
2: leaked it. Right. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I think that you, as far as the intelligence uh, community taking umbrage at what Trump has done, I'm sorry. You know, they really put themselves in this position. I I'm not talking about the rank and file. I'm talking about numerous high-level people. They put... No wonder Trump has this attitude toward them. I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. Right before he has this summit with Putin. What happens? Rosenstein comes out and does nothing but poison the well. You cannot tell me that you hand down 12 indictments. They've been running this investigation for how long? Two years. And they come out with this indictment three days before he has this summit. Oh, it was just the timing. I just release information as it comes to me. That's Rich coming from someone who's under uh, what happened. He's under not indictment, but the the, um, House of Representatives want to impeach him because he's not ponying up the documents. But somehow, here's the indictments. I'm operating really fast. I think it's just really a joke. And when he did that, he poisoned the well. Yes, I think that Trump is angry. He's upset about a lot of things that have gone down. Perhaps he displays it too much when he's speaking. But I got to tell you, I have little sympathy. And and most of us who are Trump supporters, I will go out on a limb, have very little sympathy for the intelligence community's feathers being ruffled. Charles,
1: is is Trump winning ugly? Um, Ugly,
3: yes. Uh, I don't know whether he's winning. Um, uh, There it's let me Let me back up for a second. I think that what 's happening here, besides the fact that the Democrats are moving to the left on virtually every issue, and the comp- country is deeply split and When you have uh, people like Diane Feinstein who cannot win her own mm-hmm. party 's renomination in California. And you have this uh, woman in the Bronx who who believes capitalism should be abolished Mm -hmm. uh, taking the lead in the party. You can see why they're they're moving to this kind of vitriol, but they've captured an issue that has been weak for a long time. If you look uh, historically, uh, Republicans have a huge advantage in foreign policy people trust the republicans on foreign policy. It's one of the reasons that they had a problem uh, after the end of the Cold War because foreign policy was less important and so it it gave less of an advantage to the republicans what the democrats have done with this hyperbolic it's exactly right hyperbolic line about Russia. Russia is an adversary, but their uh, lines about Trump and so forth is that they've seized a foreign policy issue that actually makes them look tough.
1: Well, but only if they can prove up anything they're saying has any relation to the reality on the ground. And they've been unable to do that now. And so you go from uh, allegations of collusion to bugged soccer balls and mm-hmm. assertions of treason. They don't. Uh, and, and really, you almost get. So there are two aspects combined, of it. Wait, combined with one other thing. Yeah. Combined with where there's real intensity, mm-hmm. immigration, which right. is a national security right. issue. They're seen as the open borders party and Trump's doing a pretty good job branding them as. It. I
3: think that that's exactly right. I think that that's mostly seen as a law and order issue. Uh, and certainly the the uh, Republicans want it to be seen as a
1: law and order issue. Well, I want to pick up this discussion, too, because uh, against the backdrop of everything we've been talking about, you had President Obama give an hour and 20-minute speech in South Africa this week, and the relevance or lack thereof of President Obama in this new Democrat party in advance of the midterm elections. We'll talk about that with our panelists, Jason Hill, Charles Lipson, Jennifer Nevins, Dan Proff sitting in for Bruce Dumont on this edition of Beyond the Beltway.
6: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton-Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com.
1: You know. That's You're how you, you got through your career. Dan Prof back, uh, back in for Bruce Dumont on this edition of Beyond the Beltway. want to reintroduce our panelists on this evening's program. Jennifer Nevins is uh, the original Trumpster. <laughs> She's a nationalist conservative. She's an education consultant, Jennifer. Yeah.
2: um, I got that little moniker from Bruce um, because when there were 17 people on the stage um, in the Republican primary, um, I was for Trump. Um, I think it's party second and ideas first. And uh, Trump really um, identified some key issues that um, I and other people I know rally behind. And uh, I'm proud to be a Trump supporter, Um, not a Trump cultist. When Trump veers off of the Trump doctrine and Trump agenda, it's up to us who are Trump supporters to uh, make our voices known. And I'm happy to be here.
1: All right. He is Charles Lipson. He is a longtime international politics professor at the University of Chicago. Charles? Charles? Yes, I teach
3: international politics. I just finished uh, another book on on that subject, but I also write some books about uh, to help students learn college students on doing honest work, how to write papers, that sort of thing. So, and I love actually uh, working with college students and with graduate students. Um, And enjoy uh, running op-eds for uh, Real Clear Politics as well.
1: All right. And he is uh, Jason Hill, our final panelist. He's a philosophy professor at DePaul University, the author of a book that just hit the bestseller list. Congratulations. We have overcome.
4: Yes, I'm Jason Hill. And uh, I wrote this book as a love letter to the American people um, explaining why I think America is the most moral country on the face of the earth, the greatest country on the face of the earth, and um, think that I'm a great patriot, a lover of this great republic, and got tired of hearing America being bashed. I think we live in an age of America phobia and, and thought I would just defend this great republic and explain why not just America is an exceptional country, but her, her people are her greatest treasure trove, and i um, glad to be here. When, well, I
3: hear, when I hear that, I hear the voice of my own great-grandfather who immigrated to the to the country, escaped, walked across Europe to escape from the Czar's army, lived with us. But I, I'll bet that there are Italians and Greeks and just generations of people who remember their grandfather, or their grandmother, or their great grandparents, saying exactly what you said, and and are just disheartened to hear these kind of the people who don't appreciate. Uh, what is our birthright? That's
1: really well, some of those, and uh, Jason, by the way, a Jamaican immigrant, yes. uh, for the record, but it's a great place to pick up both of the stories that you just shared, you gentlemen just shared, uh, because you had uh, Juan and Ava Perone, Bernie Sanders and okay. Alexandria Octavio Cortez out on the campaign trail this week in the Midwest. After a rough week for the new face of the Democrat Party, Octavio Cortez, uh, she... Uh, complained about the occupation of the Palestinian state. She suggested, as you mentioned before, Charles, that capitalism isn't always going Mm -hmm. to be here. And then uh, even on the campaign trail, she wanted to flip Missouri, a Missouri seat red. So I don't know if that means like hammer and sickle red or if it was just a faux pas. And she seemed to not exactly have a handle on what the Kansas-Nebraska Act was but um but other than that everything's going swimmingly the interesting thing that's happening though is this crack up of the democrat party is this is this coming in advance of 2018 because you have all the energy there with comrade bernie and octavio cortez and yet you have moderate democrats third way democrats meeting in columbus ohio Honor, yeah meeting right and trying to Joe Lieberman writing an op-ed saying Oct- Octavia Cortez is not the face of the Democrat Party or, or better not be because a full-throated embrace of socialism is not where we need to be as a party. So how does that play out, that tension between outright avowed public socialists leading the Democrat Party and all the energy they're generating – Versus the moderates that are afraid to stand up to them but have real fear of where this goes.
2: You know, Bruce, I can't. Bruce. I'm sorry. I'm used to dealing with Bruce, Dan. Go ahead, Dan. Dan, I look at that a little bit, uh, a little differently than you. I see the moderate wing, which is very small, I see the rabid socialist wing. But there's this other group in there that are probably just as socialist, is what our little friend from New York uh, talks about. The Clintons, I, the people who are really hard left, they may not identify as socialist, but they sure are pushing those policies. But they don't want these young upstarts. So they're also in the mix here. So I think it's almost like a three-way tug of war here between three groups all vying for power. Um, and I think that this is really um, highly destructive, and it's something that can only benefit well, our side.
1: Well, well, Jason, so one of the th- other things that Happened this week. Tom Perez goes down to Atlanta, Georgia, and he apologizes to black voters there for taking them for granted because there's clearly fear that in the midterms you're not going to generate the kind of black turnout and the kind of splits that the Democrats need to pick up some of the seats they must win in order to regain control of
4: Congress. Right. I I think that's a bad move. I, I think it's just, I think he's underestimating the extent to which. Well, there are a couple of things. I think that socialism is just not part of the DNA of this country. And I don't don't think appealing to the lowest common denominator in black people or any people in this country is going to win you votes. Um, I think when push comes to shove at the polling station, we're seeing the, 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 the hashtag walkaway movement. And we see that blacks in record numbers are joining this movement. Um, I, I I I don't see blacks voting socialist in, or or or, eviscerating themselves of their dignity. Do you think Do you think that uh, Octavio Cortez and the likes of
1: Bernie Sanders are enough to turn them off of the Democratic Party altogether, or or at least stay home? And that's what Perez is worried about.
4: I think that's what he's worried about. I think, well, in the last election we saw that that um, blacks and Hispanics had the lowest voter turnout in what forty years. So I think. Uh, and Bernie Sanders was not very popular among black voters if if i remember correctly right. so right so he wasn't really reaching black people with his progressive message um, hillary clinton certainly wasn't why wasn't do you think
3: ready. that was well i mean i was always surprised by that jason that he was he was advocating a series of redistributionist policies that have traditionally been advocated by uh, leadership in the Black Congressional Caucus and that sort of thing, but he had no appeal. And I wondered if that was simply that he'd not made the connections over the years, being from Vermont and so forth, whether it was more a personal thing or whether you thought it was a real political difference.
4: My sense is that blacks have... Okay, so so since since the 1960s, I think the Democratic Party has appealed to a sense of entitlement among a significant portion of the black electorate. But blacks, many blacks have a conservative streak mm-hmm. to them, right, and and want a message that speaks to their sense of agency. They don't want their agency expropriated. And I think when you have the far left trying to expropriate the agency of an electorate like the black electorate, it, 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 it insults them. And I think this is part of what a number of black, voters felt was coming from the sanders the sanders field
1: well you also had uh the legacy of the clintons and their historic relationship bills more than hillary's but nonetheless their historic relationship with the black community that you know provided some help even though hillary had run against barack obama speaking of which let's uh, go to the phone lines phil in cottonwood california who's listening to us on kqms phil welcome to be on the beltway
7: Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. I've been on for quite a while. I'd like to talk to Jennifer Nevins. Jennifer, during the Helsinki thing, at the end of the the summit, Trump turned everything over to Putin. And Putin brought up that $400 million went to the Clinton Foundation, the FBI, CIA, and Department of Justice. Now, just think for a minute, you guys want to talk about what's going on inside that meeting with Putin and, and Trump? Maybe he's trying to get to the bottom of all the corruption and deep state Mm -hmm. in this country. And that's why Brendan comes out and says something like treason Mm -hmm. because he's going to be exposed as a treasoner. That's Mm -hmm. just my comment.
1: Thanks for the call, Phil. Appreciate that, Jennifer. $400,000. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think you make an interesting point, um, and it's a real simple one. We don't know what happened in that meeting. And we want to play the short game here. A lot of people want to do that and say, what happened at that press conference? And it's as if the press conference was the summit. And the press conference wasn't the summit. We don't know what happened in that press conference. I think that um, you bring up a very valid point um, that there – Might have been some real truth-seeking going on in that meeting. Time, I think, will tell, and I think we need to let it play out a little bit.
3: I don't think you seek truth from uh, Putin. I think what you do is you – and I don't think you ask for an apology for what happened in 2016 or anything else. I think what you do is you have to make clear that anything that happens in 2018 that comes out of Russia – uh, we'll hold the Russian government responsible and that we have sanctions available to us that will make you wish that you had never done it.
1: Which is what Trump said in a CBS interview after the fact. Now, you have to take him at his word, but he suggested that he said a version of that to Putin.
3: I think that that's uh, what – if he'd come out at the press conference and he'd said uh, – uh, President, uh, uh, that uh, President Putin said this to me, and surely he is an honorable man, uh, but uh, we have, uh, I'm quoting from Julius Caesar, uh, but, uh, you you know, so that it's ironic, but it is, uh, but I, uh, we have, uh, in our intelligence community, reached a different decision. We're trying to move forward on this. And what's most important is that the Russians understand that they cannot do anything in 2018, nor can the Iranians, the North Koreans or the Chinese.
1: Quickly, does anybody think it was the right decision to not have no takers to have it just be one on one? Uh, Would no takers have helped to undermine some of the, the conspiracy theories that have fallen out from the meeting? Anybody think that one on one was a good idea?
4: I think that's proper. I think Reagan met with Gorbachev in a one-on-one meeting, and there were no note-takers, right, if I'm not well, mistaken? Well,
2: Lord knows we would have had leaks inside of two seconds of that, and they may have been leaks that were not accurate, and we certainly have had that happen over and over and again. And we're
1: not going to get that translator subpoena, despite Adam Schiff's that's right. uh, deepest desire. A desired. lunacy. Dan Prof sitting in for Bruce Dumont on this edition of Beyond the Beltway. Back, taking your calls, 1-800-723-8289.
8: Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in
7: Hollywood.
1: Dan Proff back on this edition of Beyond the Beltway, sitting in for Bruce Dumont. You can catch my act on uh, AM 560 in Chicago, Chicago's Morning Answer, weekdays, 5 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Pleased to have our uh, panelists this evening having a spirited discussion about uh, the week that was with Trump and Putin and Russia and the Democrats. And let's uh, go ahead and take another call. We've got Jorge from El Paso listening to us on KTSM. Welcome to Beyond the Beltway, Jorge. Good
9: evening. I wanted to comment on the idea that the opinions that are coming out of um, New York are necessarily wrong for the party, but before I do, I want to comment on Charles' claim to Shakespeare and say that um, in that play also is the line, I fear worse comes in this place. And I believe that um, the Democrats are on the right track with regard to the prominence that is being displayed in New York because basically political party politics are the idea of centrality, in other words, equality in and fairness, so that even though it sounds strange, socialist, nevertheless, the ideas of socialist socialists are, in fact, both ideas of fairness and even play
1: amongst the players in, in the political game. What about that, Charles? Uh, socialism is just a synonym, a synonym for a fair play and equality before the law.
3: I think people believe in fair play and equality before the law. I think there's a general agreement in the country that there should be some kind of a social safety net. Um... I think that that's agreed in both parties. Nobody's tried to roll that back. I think that when, uh, when you move to socialism, although it has many meanings, uh, I think what people are thinking is that it would mean extremely high tax rates, uh, uh... there would be uh... government entitlements on just a wide range of issues it would slow the economy down and i think what people misunderstand about socialism is that when you just take a look at something like a bus that leans down to pick up people who are somewhat disabled it's an expensive bus right and you could probably buy two buses Uh, that don't lean down for that price. So how can we manage to do that? And the answer is because we're rich. But what socialists think is that the wealth is already there and it gets redistributed. What uh, conservatives generally think, and I certainly agree, is that wealth has to be created Mm -hmm. and that once it's created, we're a generous country and we would like to ensure that the worst off among us get uh, as much as we can give them without diminishing the incentives for people to create
1: more wealth. Thank you for the call, Jorge. Uh, Jason, uh, you had some first-person experience with this in
4: Jamaica. I grew up in a country, and I saw where socialism destroyed uh, the best within the country. Because it, what it does, it it uh, it, it expropriates. The, it nationalizes the mind. We have to remember that wealth is a product of the mind. It's not just the product of someone's uh, economic uh, t- talents. It's a product of the mind. It's a product of, th- of thought. And uh, people often forget that the United States of America was not built on um, economic equality. It was built on political equality, equality before the law, not not, not economic equality. And Americans, I think, don't have a problem with economic equality because they realize that there will always be economic disparities because people have different talents, people have different... Um, ways of producing um, um, uh, producing uh, um, traits and virtues and dispositions and affinities and sensibilities that create disparities in and of themselves. And what happens with socialism is that it turns support or, or support systems into uh, an ambulance service. Welfare is supposed to be in a capitalist society, to the extent that welfare exists, I think it's supposed to be an ambulance service, not a transportation Mm. system. And anytime you decouple work from income, I think it undervalues people. It gives people a sense of entitlement. It gives them a sense of victimology, um, which is bad. It gives people a sense of thinking that other people's income um, is theirs when it's not, it's, it's actually immoral. Socialism is not a morally neutral system. It is an immoral system because what it does is it expropriates money from the productive and it gives that money from the productive element of society to the non-achievers.
1: So, so the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt, uh, he gets to start at the same place that everybody else mm-hmm. gets to start at. Nobody gets you know, 20 yards up because he's faster. That's right. Uh, and Jennifer, are you a bit surprised that we were having this conversation in 2018 America against the backdrop of, of socialism in practice uh, in places like Venezuela?
2: Right, because we're not seeing any positive examples of socialism. Um, Have we ever? And that's the thing. History is such a great teacher if you're willing to learn. But unfortunately, we have so many people, no matter how educated they are, um, who just have no eyes to see and no ears to hear. Um, Socialism may work for a while in a small country. France, Germany, soft socialist republics may work. You may be able to eke out an existence there in an okay fashion. But there's no example of a large country um, who's adopted socialism, um, that hasn't led to rampant communism and complete and utter degradation. We have no example of it.
1: She is Jennifer Nevins, joining Charles Lipson and Jason Hill on this edition of Beyond the Beltway. Dan Prof sitting in for Bruce Dumont. We'll be back with more.
7: And it-
9: The beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station
0: or at Darn Well Should Be. Live, live, from, Chicago, live from Chicago, it's Chicago Saturday Night South Live. Chicago the experience for the first time ever get an inside look at the making of snl critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show be a part of wayne's weekend update and so much more experience all it takes to put the show together now at the museum of broadcast communications at 360 north state street in chicago for tickets visit museum.tv
6: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be, where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGolfIslands.com. That's BradentonGolfIslands.com
8: are you headed to los angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves a place that combines a four diamond hotel experience with a convenient location it's the hilton los angeles universal city just steps away from universal studios hollywood citywalk and nbc studios just a short ride to the hollywood walk of fame tcl chinese theater warner brothers and other popular attractions Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles
0: Universal City
8: at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Dan Props sitting in for Bruce Dumont on this issue. uh, In this edition, you can catch my act, AM 560, Monday to Friday, 5 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, Do a morning drive political talk show with Amy Jacobson. Joining me on this installment from... My right to my left, but don't read too much into that. <laughs> Jennifer Nevins, she is the original Trumpster, as Bruce lovingly calls her, and she's also an educational consultant. Jennifer, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Charles Lipson, regular performer on this program. Thank you. <laughs> international politics professor at University of Chicago. And Jason Hill, uh, DePaul philosophy professor and the author of the best-selling book, We Have Overcome. Uh, I wanted to uh, pick up a story that was sort of subsumed by all of the Trump-Putin hoopla this week, and that is President Obama. President Obama in South Africa to deliver a speech on the occasion of what would have been Mandela's 100th birthday. And, um, you know, it was sort of from my perspective, I want to get yours and take your calls, 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289, phone lines are open. Sort of a standard issue Obama, right? A lot of sort of maxims from life's little instruction book, some kind of thinly veiled invective, and then hitting some high points on the issues uh, of the left. But my question is, is Obama still relevant Mm -hmm. to the Democrat Party today? He's only a few years removed from office, and he seems to have really been marginalized by Trump, where he, in my view, sort of was a veneer for the ugliness of the left. Trump has brought it all out into the open, and now it's just a street fight on public display Mm -hmm. for everyone to witness. Mm -hmm. Jason, what do you think about that?
4: I I think he still has some relevance to the left to the extent that the left is trying to move farther to the left. And to the extent that that has some traction to their base, then he is relevant. I mean, he was in South Africa talking about – the need for a universal basic income, which I thought sent shivers down my spine because I thought that that was just a move towards socialism in this country. Um, he was talking about the fact that men are getting on his nerves, which I thought was...
1: <laughs> and you <know>. vice versa. <laughs> Ident- yeah, identity politics. He was talking, he, he
4: made a jab at uh, rich people, and uh, which I thought was... Pretty hypocritical, given the fact that he recently purchased a house for eight point five million dollars. Some rich people are right. So I think I think he's sort of in the manner of a good pollster, moving in the direction that he senses that the left is moving, which is farther towards the left.
1: But but Jennifer, I always saw him as the front man for the radical left. Right. right? He put a great face on it, a great right. uh, tone. Uh, use proper syntax. Yeah. Um, his Articulate, his yeah. administration apparatchiks, mm-hmm. the leftovers that are now cable TV stars, uh, Brennan and that crew, um, the P hats, right. uh, Antifa, mm-hmm. not exactly doing a service to the Democrat That's Party. Right. And, but 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 does he have a relevance there? I mean, he has a relevance. Of course, he's had an, he has an audience. But he's not where the energy of the party is.
2: I thought it was so telling that he gives this speech in Africa, across the world, couldn't be further away geographically from... LA, from New York, from Chicago, he's over there making the speech and it almost seemed like he was a man unto himself. It was really kind of an odd feeling I had watching him. I mean, I always get an odd feeling watching him, but it was a different feeling. I think that George Soros, this is really telling, made a comment. Um, I'm not sure when he made it, uh, how recent this was, but that Barack Obama was, one of his, was, was his greatest disappointment. And I think what he probably meant by that, um, he didn't get the job done. And he didn't. He was considered a bumbler, I think, by a whole lot of people who were behind the scenes. I've always thought of Obama as a put-up. There were people behind him propping him up, telling him what to say. Um, And I think that uh, he will not be the head of the Democrat Party. They're not looking to him to be the head of anything anymore. I think he's always going to be out there speaking. He serves a purpose in that way as sort of Mm -hmm. this elder statesman. But his days of having real uh, power in this party um, as a political mover and shaker, I think, are over. uh,
3: I think that uh, a former president has a kind of awkward position, delicate and awkward. The best person to handle it was George W. Bush, and George W. Bush, I think, wanted to stay um, uh, in the background, at least in part because of Jeb. Uh, that is uh, but I think the more um, sunlight that uh, president uh, former President Obama takes, the harder it is for uh the next generation by which I mean the seventy two year old people of who course, actually run the party now yeah. uh, um, but the if he is still the real head of the party it 's really hard for them to contest who will be the next. Leader, so I, I I was disappointed in a number of the things that he said, and I think what George Soros was disappointed in was that he that President Obama didn't move further to the left and get more things done. I'll tell you one more thing about President Obama. I was really struck during his years, about the difference between the way my friends uh, on the left and my friends on the right saw him. My friends, who uh, were Democrats, almost all saw him as a centrist reformer, center-left kind of reformer. My friends on the right saw him much further to the left, getting as much as as he could, so I think that there's still a sense of ambiguity about what he was. What I will tell you is that he really only had two big achievements: uh, Iran and health care and look at what 's left of them
1: well right and and it you know his rhetoric it seems to me though doesn't hold up over time any better than his policies do i mean it's very um, as I said platitudinous. And uh, and I, I just think that, you know, he's sort of um, I understand what you're saying. He's it's complicated, but there's a street fight in the public square going on. Right. And, you know, he's sort of above the yeah. fray is what he you're is. saying, Jennifer. He's kind of the, this. Yes. The, yeah, he's but playing maybe this people, role. Maybe the there's a desire figure. for that, uh, it, Dan. It, I mean, there? in other words,
3: there there's a sense of incredible tumult the greatest tumult I've seen since the late 60s in the public square, deep divisions, a sense that the people who are on the other side are somehow unworthy. I've never heard people uh, in the highest positions, who've held the highest positions, call other people traitors on such a regular basis and so forth. And I think that there's going to be a call for people who have a sense of calm, calm, uh, uh, and so forth. And per, perhaps. Really?
1: And, and I mean, but who are the leading candidates on the left for president right now? Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Oh, I'm not saying that they'll Elizabeth win. Warren. No, no,
3: they won't win in the uh, Democratic Party or the Republican Party. I'm not saying that. I just think that you you will see people who have a kind of steadiness about them. There will be an appeal uh, to the middle that a lot of people would like to see.
1: Well, but, and Joe Lieberman, Jason, Joe Lieberman, the former senator from Connecticut, uh, running mate of Al Gore, Uh, made that appeal this week against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the hoopla surrounding her. I mean, was that received by anybody? Did that go anywhere in Democrat circles?
4: I don't think so. And I think, I'm going to go back to my point about President Obama having some, the former president having some, some relevance. I think what he's doing is that he is really giving, with this talk of universal basic income and now free college tuition for everyone, he really is giving some kind of legitimacy to these ideas and normalizing them in the mainstream. And um, whereas before, he would, you know, his views were always evolving, whether it was on narrative equality, um, on various issues. Like Hillary Clinton,
9: he was always taking a poll.
4: Are you
5: planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096.
1: Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Welcome back to this edition of Beyond the Beltway. Dan Proft in for Bruce Dumont. And we were talking about uh, President Obama's speech in South Africa last week, uh, this past week, and also just kind of where he fits into the tapestry of the Democrat Party in advance as we're just uh, over four months from the midterm elections. The one thing we know is that President Obama is working behind the scenes. Tom Perez, the DNC chairman, is his labor secretary. He still has OFA, Organizing for America, so there's still operatives. There's still money being raised, so he's still doing the infrastructure piece of it. But, uh, Jason, you were making the point uh, and, and got cut off there uh, mm. about um, uh, President Obama's le- giving legitimacy to some of the ideas that Bernie Sanders was running on in 2016.
4: Right. I, 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 think, the, I think the president is seen by the, by the left and the far left as having some moral authority, and I think the Democratic Party is so lost. It's soulless. I mean, every time I see Kamala Harris, um, the best that she can do is give emojis um, on the Senate floor. <laughs> and, um, and and they're looking to the president to give some sort of more legitimacy. Uh, when I hear him talk about certain concepts and certain ideas and certain principles, that when he was running for as a progressive, uh, and he had to, to word some of these progressive ideas. In, and, and coach them in a way that were acceptable to the mainstream American people. Uh, and he talks about a basic universal income. He talks about uh, now talking about free college education for all. Uh, talking in the lingo of Alexandria um, Ocasio Cortez, moving, f- I think, farther to the further to the left. Um, I think this is is, is quite dangerous, and I think this is where he does have some kind of relevance. I think it's it's relevance that's not going to cash out in anything tangible for the Democratic Party. But
1: I well, th- yeah, I mean, it seems to me what, what, you know we're supposed to, we were supposed to view that speech as like uh, you know remember what we used to have wistfully. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not so sure that there's a lot of interest in sort of the um, kindergarten pablum that you get from politicians on either side, the high-minded aphorisms that you get from Barack Obama as well as some long-time polls on, on the right on the, in the Republican Party. I just, I think people want the veneer stripped mm-hmm. away and they want this thing fought out in the streets. I think what will happen uh, depends very much on
3: what happens in the midterm elections. If the Democrats don't win the House, there's going to be a bloodbath in that party, right? And then the question is whether or not – there'll have to be new leadership mm-hmm. and so forth. This will bring up a big question. For example, will Clyburn be the leader because he'll make a move? If they don't give it to him, then they jeopardize that part
1: of their base. Or Tim Ryan, the congressman from Ohio right. who There's a Pelosi lot of prior. big issues. Yeah. But
3: here's the thing. The question is whether this move to the left – is George McGovern, a kind of total failure in which they begin to then move back toward the center and bounce back, or whether they think of it as uh, Barry Goldwater, which lays the foundations for a more permanent movement. uh, Barry Goldwater did among conservatives. It ultimately led uh, to Reagan. You can't think of Reagan without uh, Goldwater. Uh, but but it could just uh, lead them off into the wilderness where they have uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts and
1: Nob Hill in San Francisco. Well, it seems to me rather than sort of the establishment, the state establishment of the Democrat Party absorbing the socialists, it seems like it's the other way around at this right. point. Very much like what happened at least for a period of time with the Tea Party and the, and the Republican Party. Uh, when it presented itself in 2010 and led Mm -hmm. to the House Republican takeover.
2: Yeah, I would say that. I think our saving grace, I say our saving grace, I say conservative saving grace, is the Democrats are so horrible at diagnosing their own problems. I think so many of them are still under the delusion that if Hillary had just gone further left, she would have cinched, you know, she would have won this election. They honestly believe this. I heard this guy in Kansas who was introducing um, Octavia Ortiz, um, saying, we would have won, we would have won the presidency had we not if we hadn't had you know, Hillary, if we had had Bernie, I think that's a miscalculation. But they think they need more and more and more of this. They need more unrest. They need more pushing it to the wall. And I think that that's a bad miscalculation. I think you would agree with that, Jason, The people are not all on board with socialism. Um, and I think they, they are remarkably terrible in diagnosing what their own ills are.
1: We've taken, uh, we're taking your calls, 1-800-723-8289. let us go to the phone lines. Roger in Austin, Texas, listening, uh, listening to us. On KLBJ, Roger, you're on Beyond the Beltway.
7: Good evening. Nice to be on. You know, I think that the Democrats are heading for a cataclysm with their socialist plan here, you know, promising this basic income, a living wage, Medicare for all, uh, forgiving college loans, giving us free tuition. Uh, does anybody remember that we have a $20 trillion national debt? And that we have deficits as far as the eye can see that no one seems to be able to cure. And, and, you know, it's the existing uh, entitlement programs are going broke like super quick, faster every time they analyze them. It's less years of of solvency. And, And, you know, and at the same time, they want to go in and impeach and destroy Trump which will destroy the economy and nosedive the stock market, which they're going to depend on to fund the taxes. It is an insane Armageddon that they're going to. And I think if Republicans are smart, they'll bring this all out and nobody will vote for this socialist insanity.
1: Thanks for the call, Roger. I, uh, Jennifer?
2: I think what he said, if the Republicans are smart, um, my view is the Republicans are not often smart these days. We do need articulate messengers to explain the perils of socialism in a way that people can understand it. Reagan was great at it. We need more people to do that. People can say that Trump is not as articulate as he should be, and sometimes you're right on that. But he's not the only one in the Republican Party, and well, we need effective leadership.
1: Well, the other problem, though, that Roger points up and with respect to messaging from Republicans on this topic of debt and deficits – you have an administration that uh and re- Republican controlled Congress that moved the omnibus spending bill yes. through you have a president who's absolutely. not interested in talking about entitlements
2: absolutely and the, those are those are problems that does not speak well of Republicans I'm highly critical of that as are a lot of Trump supporters
3: the, uh, the Republican party abandoned that actually I think with Reagan there were still a few what they used to call green eye shades uh Republicans back when when bank examiners were Green eye shades to keep the light off as they went over the books, and the last one of those was somebody like Bob dole, and it was just totally on the six. tax
1: collectors for the welfare state, as Newt Gingrich famously called it right
3: them. right exactly and so uh the problem obviously is entitlements and um and that uh, the and the uh, the only way to solve that is to look at some of the out years and to begin to rein in some of the spe- uh, spending in the out years but politicians have short term goals every politician is coming up look at look at the illinois uh, debt overhang because they never paid into the pensions. Why didn't they pay into the pension? Why when uh, Richie Daly sold off um, uh, one of our bridges for $2 billion or something like that uh, or and sold off all of our parking meters, they spent all that money in two or three years? Why? Because Richie Daly's not going to be around for 75 years.
1: Well, yeah, but the flip side is we do have some models out here in the Hustings that could be scaled, what Scott Walker has done in Wisconsin, for example, Indiana, what Mitch Daniels and Mike Pence and now Eric Holcomb mm-hmm. have done in Indiana—those are models that could be scaled. Absolutely.
4: Education. Well, I want to get back to the question of um, entitlement, and I think that what we have is both parties, both 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 the Democrats and the Republicans, um, that are for cronyism. Mm-hmm. We need we need to get back to the idea, speaking as a conservative independent, to the idea of limited government. Mm-hmm. Right, to shrink government, that government is a servant of the people and not the other way around. And we need to get back to the idea of individualism, self reliance, self accountability. We need to get back to the idea that um, each person is responsible for his or her fate, her own fate. We need to get back to the idea of pulling oneself up by the bootstraps, that America is again built on the idea not of economic equality but political equality. And that crony capitalism is running amok in this country. When we have a country, people are right to be upset and to talk about, I don't agree with the idea of free college tuition at all. It's a disastrous idea. It's a socialist idea. But when we have um, administrations that can give corporate bailouts to companies and CEOs that are using that bailout money to um, command exorbitant salaries, then people have a right to be angry.
1: Well, and so is is the real issue that Republicans have, conservatives have, uh, what Ross Dothat said about this country, which is it's moving left. It's just the Democrats are moving left much faster. So the Democrats may be over their skis. They're moving left too fast to be electorally successful in the short term. I don't, but the country is moving left.
3: The country's moved left on some issues and not on others. And uh, I, I actually, uh, I think that this... Uh, you're seeing a, a fight in Texas, for example. There was a thought that this guy, Beto, could could beat Ted Cruz. And he's now taken a number of these left-wing positions that I think will just sink him in Texas. Look at where all the growth is All the growth is in states like Florida, Texas. It's not in California. If it weren't for Silicon Valley and what was going on in Silicon Valley, California would just be a total disaster. One way you can see that, by the way, is the price of U Haul. It is expensive to get a U Haul from California to go to Arizona, it's cheap. To, buy the, to, to rent the same U-Haul back from Phoenix to go to, to L.A.
1: And the cheapest U-Haul prices are anywhere in the country to Chicago. <laughs> uh, Dan Probst sitting in for Bruce Duman on this edition of Beyond the Beltway. We'll be back with your calls, 1-800-723-8289. Talk a little bit about the state of legitimacy in the public mind of our intelligence agencies. Back after this.
6: And loves vacationing in Florida so why not experience it as it was meant to be where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches feel the powder soft sand between your toes, revel in a glorious island sunset shop the boutiques of a seaside village, ride horseback along tranquil waters this is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Yes, that's right. Plating, right. Dan Braft
1: back on this edition of Beyond the Beltway, Bat- sitting in for Bruce du- Dumont, my uh, steam panel, Jason Hill, Depaul University Political Philosophy Professor, Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, and Jennifer Nevins, who's an education consultant and a trump delegate Trump supporter. Uh, we were talking about uh, the state of the GOP and uh, these some of these fiscal issues. We talk a lot about uh, GDP growth and job creation and incomes rising. What about on the other side, the uh, debt and deficits that uh, burden our government and, by extension, of course, all American families? Let's go to the phone lines again. Sylvia in Clinton, New Jersey, joining us on Sirius. Sylvia, welcome to Beyond the Beltway.
2: Hi. You know, I what a, what a great discovery of your show. I had no idea you were on, but right. um, I I came in as you were talking about like, the subject that led, that drove me from the Republican Party, which is the debt, and, I mean, the idea that there is such a thing as a fiscal conservative has not been borne out by anything that has happened in my adult lifetime. And by that, I mean um, Ronald Reagan, as we know, triples the national debt. Oh, oh,
1: Sylvia? Maybe she got cut off. Oh, I oh, no. oh okay, no. go ahead. Oh, oh, that was your point, just uh, the Reagan example?
2: that up with oh. the fact that reagan tripled the national debt george w bush inherited four years of budget surpluses from bill clinton and left us with a mm-hmm. 1.4 trillion debt and then now trump is going to have a trillion dollar debt and in in a booming economy it is it is, it is sinful you know mm-hmm. it is so unethical thanks for the and,
1: call uh, I'm, thanks good. for the call sylvia we appreciate you joining us so uh, you know what about that uh, jennifer
2: Absolutely. I mean, I the Bush family, I have nothing positive to say about them generally, but I think one of the absolute worst things that they did... That's a um, requirement
1: to be a Trump supporter, by the way. Yeah, it is. And about, I do it yeah. so well. I, yes. mean,
2: I I really I don't have any regard for them at all. And one of the things that really bothers me about uh, George W. Bush is his just spending money like a drunken sailor on leave. It was horrible. Does this um, mean
3: you're going to oppose what uh, Republicans are now talking about which is another set of tax cuts
2: would i oppose another set there of tax cuts there are people cuts? who
3: are saying that sure. we need to make permanent some of the uh, the cuts to individual line. So in other gains. words that's where the rubber's going to meet the road Jennifer is is when people are are talking about this now yeah. the republican line will be i think that we've brought in more revenue With these tax cuts, it's the expenditure side that's the problem. But but I'd like to hear your thoughts. It's
2: all just a shell game, you know. The omnibus that was a a big disappointment to me that Trump went along with that. I think it's horrific, and I think it was a, a crap plan. And there was no real spending uh, cuts there. There were no entitlement cuts of any note there. There was no reform there. It was a joke. And uh, I think we need something better. And, um, you know, so I, I completely agree with what Sylvia was saying. I think it's just a, a horrible thing that we gave the Democrats that ammo and we continue to give them that ammo. But and do I you think
1: Charles is right, uh, Jennifer, that mm-hmm. the Republican Party, particularly the Republican Party uh, with Trump as the leader, has sort of walked away from the issue of spending restraint, yes. concern about debt and deficits. I absolutely
2: do believe that, and and I do point a finger, I hate to do it, a, a little bit at, at my guy Trump there for doing that. Um, I think that it's wrong, and I'm being intellectually honest by saying that.
1: I want to, uh, you are, and I want to switch gears and talk about uh, the intelligence agencies, uh, particularly in light of the news over the weekend, the uh, FISA documents, 400 pages worth of uh, FISA documents that were obtained through a FOIA request that relate to the surveillance on a former Trump aide, Carter Page. Uh, And uh, the concern, if this is a concern, that uh, the sense that the intelligence agencies are not being honest with the American people, not being transparent with the American people to the extent that they need to be short of compromising national security or the rule of law, right, but some level of transparency – and also that they just don't have anything, that they have been uh, hopelessly politicized and, and mobilized mm-hmm. against this president, this administration. And even with new Trump appointees at the head of these agencies, you still have the permanent employees who are seeking to undermine this administration. The Carter Page, the, the FBI, Comey's FBI, Sally Yates at the Department of Justice, they signed off on these applications. And they characterize him as working for the Russian government. They characterize him as engaged in criminal activity. That was two years ago. There are mm-hmm. no charges. walking around. There's no charges against Carter Page. He did an interview with Jake Tapper over the weekend where he denied the assertions in that FISA application. And again, what do what does law enforcement have to say to that? In response to his denials, they have not charged him with any crime. And the application relies heavily on the Steele dossier, right. which Lindsey Graham, who's an on-again, off-again Trump supporter, mm-hmm. um, said. The FBI hasn't been able to verify much of anything in that dossier. Well, oh, they have one and, other and, really and strong piece,
3: which is the uh, Yahoo Uh-oh. News. Well, that's man, right. that's so, and then, really important. And, and
1: then D.C. press right. corps clippings. Right. Uh, so, oh, so man. This does not exactly inspire confidence. Right. Um but the problem is— And then they hide it all in the footnote. Well, right. But the problem is we, this is not something we want to be celebrating. It should be something that is very concerning about how Americans are going to view the FBI with everything that's happened there, Comey and Strzok and McCabe and, and the rest of them, now CIA, Department of Justice as well. Let me, let me point
3: uh, amid all of this uh, muck to a truly great American, Ed Levy, who was the dean of the University of Chicago Law School, then the provost, and then the president. And in the aftermath of Richard Nixon and John Mitchell at the DOJ, uh, Gerald Ford brought in Ed Levy to clean it all up. And he did it at DOJ and FBI. That's what's needed. It's unclear whether or not the fbi is being cleaned up but the fact that they released this over the weekend late at night Mm -hmm. does not give me confidence and i gotta tell you that the worst appointments that trump made Mm -hmm. by far are the top two people at doj
2: absolutely absolutely and highly redacted practically unusable alan Dershowitz said he'd never seen a document so uh, redacted uh, before. It was horrible. You could read between the lines. You could glean enough horrible stuff from the stuff that wasn't redacted. And why was everything redacted? W- it wasn't national security. It's, it's, to hi- right, it's to hide their incompetence and it's embarrassing. And I really hope that Trump um, calls for everything to be uh, declassified. He can't
1: do
3: it. They'll, they'll he do
2: it? say he well, can. He, politically.
1: They'll claim he's compromising. They'll claim he's compromising. Which
2: is crap, by the way. It is not a national security issue in that Carter Page FISA warrant document. I
3: agree with that, but I'm telling you, well, at least it appears that that's right. But I've got to tell you that there's a reason Trump hasn't already done it. He knows that substantively it would be very helpful to him, but procedurally they'd kill him.
1: Well, then what about this? What about taking the Horowitz reports and more are, for, more are coming, the Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz, who's uh, written these detailed reports that nobody in either party has disputed in terms of their veracity, uh, and saying, you know, I'm going to take what Michael Horowitz has discovered and documented, and I'm going to get personally involved in doing exactly what you said Dean Levy did back in the Ford administration, cleaning out and cleaning up these intelligence agencies so the American people can rely on them. He can't
3: do it while he is the subject of... The uh, Mueller investigation. As soon as it's over, take my word, uh, Sessions. Sessions can pack his bag as soon as the Mueller report is. So you handed think this in. is
1: just all stasis because everything is going to be is going to be received with howlings about not, ins- obstruction?
3: Not qu- yes on that, but I'll tell you, there's something that's happening beneath the surface, which is that Horowitz is working with the grand jury that's been impaneled by Sessions' uh, appointment. He appointed this guy, Huber, out in Denver, I believe, and all of the stuff that uh, Horowitz has turned up. Horowitz cannot uh, bring things to a grand jury. He can't impound. makes referrals. Uh, He's making all this, and he's got like 425 people there, and they're working with Hoover. So there could be big things that are happening. There's also an FBI investigation, which the Obama people tried to shut down, into
1: the Clinton Foundation. Watch for it. Do you think uh, Molly Hemingway was on uh, Fox uh, on Friday – Molly Hemingway from the Federalist, and she said, here's the test to understand whether or not you're serious about Russian collusion. Do you have questions for Obama's intelligence agency heads? If you don't have serious questions for why the Obama administration didn't take a more aggressive posture to the efforts to interfere with the election by the Russians, then you're actually not serious about Russian collusion. He's going to
3: bring them in. He's going to bring in Brennan. He's going to bring in Clapper, and he's going to bring in uh, Lynch,
1: and so and they'll lie, and so they'll lie to Congress again, yeah, but just like Clapper and Brennan did. Be- well, they've done it before. Yeah, the well, both of them have.
2: McCabe is the one that that lied. Isn't that why he's gone? I mean, well, it,
4: it seems to me that to assume that there is a radical discontinuity between the two administrations mm-hmm. would be to operate at the height of cynicism, the highest level of cynicism. And I think that there has to be some sort of. Overlap between the, admi- the Obama administration's intelligence and this administration's intelligence, and to ass- again to assume that there is a, a radical discontinuity between what went on in the Obama's, Obama's administration and the collusion between Russia, Russia, Russia's interference and, in, in our elections, and and I'm just not
3: following that. Uh, flesh it out for me.
4: Well, there is talk that somehow under Obama's administration, everything was clean and pretty. And that somehow, under the mm. Trump administration, things got really messy. And I'm suggesting that yes. th- an authentic, non-cynical view would assume that things got way messier before.
1: Well, I th- and I think that's the accounting that Molly Hemingway is talking about, yeah. to your point. Dan Proff, sitting in for Bruce Dumont on this edition of... Beyond the Beltway. We're going to talk a little higher education since we've got two professors here and one mother of a soon-to-be college student. That's all coming up, and we'll take your calls. Dan Profton for Bruce Dumont.
8: Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.
1: Dan Prof back on this edition of Beyond the Beltway sitting in for Bruce Dumont. And uh, a special note here. Uh, Fritz Goldman, who's one of the people that brings you Beyond the Beltway Way each week, is celebrating his birthday today. Yay, so we're going to be serenading him with... And there he is right there. We're going to be serenading him with a uh, happy birthday. I'll do my best Marilyn Monroe impersonation oh, after the show, so you don't have to indulge that. Only Fritz will have to. Uh, but it's uh, great to be here on this special day for Fritz Goldman. I wanted to pick up a, a conversation about higher ed. We've got two academics here, an education consultant and a mom of a soon-to-be college student in Jennifer. And, um, Jason, you had a piece uh, in The Hill recently uh, calling for – alumni of universities across the Fruited Plains to essentially defund their universities, stop supporting dear alma mater.
4: and the federal government, I might add.
1: Well, that's an important piece of it, too. But what about in terms of the um, uh, advocacy for private action with respect to one's alma mater? Why?
4: Well, I think there are a couple of horrible things that are going on in academia today. I think that we have um, left-wing indoctrination of our students. I think we have every every facet of our educational, um, um, every facet of education is being mediated by cultural Marxism, and our students are being educated not just to hate America. I cannot emphasize the anti-American invectives that are being spewed uh, towards our students, to hate America, to hate capitalism. They're being indoctrinated into cultural Marxism, But that the rejoinders, the other side, conservative values, capitalism, um, Americanism, American values, are met with hostility. And I think it is unfair for taxpayers and uh, alumni donors to have values that are inimical to their interests to be funded. I think that until these left-wing, I call them Bolshevik-loving welfare scholars are held accountable and pay an enormous price for indoctrinating their students into these radical left-wing ideologies which incidentally are coterminous with the the, um, anti-free speech movement. So they're not only advocating anti-Americanism and cultural Marxism, they're also advocating cultural relativism, Mm -hmm. um, hatred of the Western canon, um, and the two have to go hand in hand in order to sort of shut down free speech. you have to shut down rational argumentation. You have to make an assault against reason uh, you have to You have to somehow convey the idea that logic and reason are the creation of imperialist western white racists, which mm-hmm all of which are being taught on the campus today.
1: So, Charles, what about that uh, stop funding your opposition? Do you want to second Jason's emotion there? Um, I want to say a couple of
3: things. First, I want to tell you one of the most depressing things that happened to me in teaching at the University of Chicago for 40 years. It was a compliment. A student came up to me after a lecture and said, you know what I like about this class? You love America. Mm -hmm. And the fact that uh, he felt like that was so, like so different class, yeah. right. from every other class he was taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It just, I can't tell you how it disheartened me, although I was glad that he picked up the fact that I do love the country, which has made so many things possible for me. I also agree with Jason that the attack on rationality, m- it's Partly on free speech, and I've been very actively involved in the free speech movement at the University of Chicago, which are really good. It not only has good principles, it actually enforces them. And as Jason knows, DePaul is actually appalling. It is appalling. They literally told students they couldn't write with chalk on the sidewalks after one of them had written the racist thing, Trump, Mm -hmm. for president, That was considered so appalling they had to remove chalk. This is like they're treating the students as if they're all Ralph Wiggum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think that there is a serious problem, and there is an attack on rationality uh, in a very basic way that uh, all of, uh, that knowledge is power. All of this represents uh, the kind of oppression. And the first thing that happens to these students when they come in at orientation in most schools is that they're sorted into their respective victims' oppressed group and if they're not one of the victims who are oppressed, then what are they? They're an oppressor. Their mom might be working a coal mine, and their dad might deliver mail. But if they come from that identity, kind of a family, they're an politics, oppressor.
1: intersectionality, the cultural Marxism that Jason was talking dreadful. about. dreadful. Uh, Jennifer, from a parental perspective, as uh, the mother of a young lady who's soon to be off to college, uh, how, do, how do you react to what's going on in college campuses?
2: You know... I went to grad school when I was in my late 30s, and it was interesting because I got to experience college again after I had been out in the world and had developed my worldview. And um, there were times when the pressure was so great, and my it was such a confusing time sometimes to sit here. the feel- being so marginalized, and I thought I was a pretty independent, you know, person who could stand up for herself, and I did. But yet, it was just so overwhelming um, to be targeted in that way. And so, when I look at my daughter, um, I have to say that um, I fear for her. I really do.
1: Jennifer gets the last word. My thanks to Jason Hill, Charles Lipson, and Jennifer Nevins for coming in on this Sunday. Beyond the Beltway is a Genevieve production. Also, I'd like to thank Sam Greenberg, birthday boy Fritz Goldman, and Dan Dorfman for their assistance in getting this program on the air. I'm Dan Prof, substituting in for Bruce Dumont. Good night.
9: hard enough go off the beaten track far enough you'll find an america teeming with the unusual the odd the downright strange i'm will Klinger, and i'm your guide on a package tour we like to call wild travels join us on our weekly road trip to see america's most offbeat and unusual attractions wild travels available on your local pbs station Or it darn well should be.
0: Live Live from from Chicago, Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live the experience for the first time ever get an inside look at the making of snl critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show be a part of wayne's work weekend update and so much more experience all it takes to put the show together now at the museum of broadcast communications at 360 north state street in chicago for tickets visit museum.tv
6: Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGolfIslands.com. That's BradentonGolfIslands.com
8: are you headed to los angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves a place that combines a four diamond hotel experience with a convenient location it's the hilton los angeles universal city just steps away from universal studios hollywood citywalk and nbc studios just a short ride to the hollywood walk of fame tcl chinese theater warner brothers and other popular attractions Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton, Los Angeles, Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood.